Our scripture this morning is coming from Psalm 46. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up the Pew Bible and turn to page 557 um, so we can read along together. Um, And as you're turning to Psalm 46, uh, this is the last in in our series here on Psalm 46, and so we're really focusing there on the final four verses, 8 through 11. Um, And then next week, we're going to begin a new series, and we're going to be going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, in uh, uh, much like we did Leviticus in an overview fashion, we're going to do kind of an overview fashion with the Sermon on the Mount as well, Um, otherwise we could be in that for a year, Uh, and I think Jesus did it in one setting, So, so we'll try and be diligent with that. Psalm 46, there it's written. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So most of you might not know this, but I've struggled most of my life with keeping still. I I like to keep moving. I like to stay busy. Uh, The moments when I get still are asleep. And did my microphone just die? No? Yeah? No? No? Okay. Sorry, it felt like it. Um, I know I'm on low battery, so it might die at some point. Please let me know. Uh, So the moments that I get still, I fall asleep. It's been that way my whole life. My parents have, have always told me, they said, as a kid, you were go, 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 and then go some more. And if you ever sat still for five minutes, you fell asleep. And, and there's plenty of pictures of me when I had to sit in a high chair and, and in the middle of spaghetti, I fell asleep. In the middle of a meal, I would fall asleep. See, we have kids' church today, but my kids' church back in the day was my mom's purse full of Hot Wheels and Werther's Originals, right? And then we would find the pew that had the most empty seats in it, so that way I would have a drag race track. One of the greatest inventions ever occur for a small boy like myself was Micro Machines. Because with micro machines, they were a third of the size of a Hot Wheel, which meant for me 
more cars to play with in church, right? So, so more that my mom's purse could hold. Staying still was, was hard, and, and this is what made timeouts a really difficult punishment for myself. I remember one instance as a kid, I was sent to timeout to go put my nose in the corner, and as I approached that corner, praying for a, cob, a, a, a cobweb-free space to put my nose, I noticed in the corner I was sent to, next to it, was a light switch. I was overjoyed. The entertainment I found with that light switch, on, off, on, off, on, off. You would have thought that there was a brand new episode of Power Rangers that just came out and was holding my attention. There was nothing better in the world in that moment than that light switch. And, and my dad uh, was less than thrilled with my own amusement, right? I was supposed to be still. I was in trouble, but there was the light switch. My dad asked and pleaded, and I'm sure threatened longer time in that corner. I told him that the light switch, it's there. It's hard not to play with it. And by his grace, he eventually let me out of the corner. Otherwise, I'm sure I would still be standing there today with extended time for playing with the light switch. But that's something, something we struggle with, right, is, is being still in our own lives. And, and maybe it's so because we've viewed having to be still as a punishment, that being still comes from punishment, that, that when we get in trouble in school, it's because we're too antsy and we're out of our seats, and so we must be still, and it's a punishment to be still and not to be doing and not to be moving. It's a punishment to go into timeout and to be alone and to be still and not stimulated by other things. It's hard as a kid to come to church and, and be quiet and be still. So there's adults talking for 30 minutes and there's no movies playing. There's no Power Rangers popping out. It gets really difficult to be still. And we've always seen it as a punishment. Yet what the psalmist tells us here, what's revealed through God, is that stillness doesn't come as punishment, but stillness comes as peace. It comes as peace in God, because here in the psalm, we're told of the the waters roaring and foaming, the, the mountains tremble at the swelling, the mountains moving into the heart of the sea, the earth giving way, all of this chaos and going around us, total chaos. And then here in this final section, we hear of God's good work, of, of what God is doing. And then he speaks. And he speaks not with a suggestion, but a command. Be still. Be still and know that he is God. Because he's the one who brings order to chaos. He's the one who brings peace to unrest. He's the one that brings stillness in the midst of our busyness. As 
as I read of this be still and know that I am God, I'm reminded of when Jesus goes to Martha and Mary's house. And, and we're told of this story in Luke chapter 10. And there as he's in Mary and Martha's dwelling place, we're told that um, Martha was distracted with much serving as she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? For Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was attempting to be a good host and to be in service. One of our hard distractions from standing in worship and in still time with God is replacing it with busyness in the church. We have a hard time being still already. And so it's natural for us to go and find ways to be busy in the church and count that as time spent building relationship with Jesus. We can do that in our own personal lives, too. We can get so busy doing many good things, seeking career, raising families, and, and being involved in the community, and, and going out and having fun and, and getting so busy We never take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be still and know that he is God. And it wasn't just Martha and Mary that, that had this struggle and this dichotomy of actions. We, we notice it, it was quite calm other than people coming over to her, their house. We remember the other story of the disciples and Jesus getting in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee in a storm brewing in the middle of the night. Waters being taken on, on their boat. And there Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And the disciples wake him up. Do you not care that we are about to perish? Look, there's total chaos all around us, right? In this middle of the storm, they're freaking out. There's, they're trying to save themselves and save this boat, and it's not working. And they're like, Jesus, do you not care? And Jesus wakes from his rest. And what does he do? He calms the storm. Be still and know that he is God. It's something we struggle with. Our identity can often be tied to how busy we are in, in the busyness of life. For myself, that, that has been so. For 14 years, I've been in pastoral ministry. And this summer, I was able to take a sabbatical. And for the first time, I spent multiple weeks away from pastoring and preaching in 14 years. I'm still the little boy that can't be still. I'm not sure how I was going to handle it. And then there came this moment as I was hiking in the Grand Tetons, woke up early with my best friend. We made it up to Inspiration Point above the trees overlooking Jenny Lake. And, and he was excited because Cascade Canyon was but a short hike away. And I said, I'm going to be here for a minute. You can go ahead. And that minute turned into two hours of peaceful rest. For 14 years... I thought being busy as a pastor, and if I'm not around, if I'm not doing this, if I'm not doing that, how will people grow with God? 
But you know what happened over the month of July? The church was just fine. You did well. The staff is awesome here at First Christian Church of the Beaches. Amen? Amen. And, and, and they did a fantastic job, and you kept coming to church, and you kept worshiping. Your walk with God is not dependent on anyone else. It's wholly dependent on God himself, right? So we're told in John 15, he goes into this telling us to abide in him, and he abides in us. But then he talks about the vineyard. And we often equate that with the pruning, that, that there's discipline to come and things to shed from us. But what I want us to see in this is that it is God who comes and grabs a hold of us. And it's Paul who says that there is nothing in all of this world or out of this world, in all of the earth or under the earth, that could ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress who does not let us go. Be still, he says, and know that he is God. So it's hard for us to sit still. We struggle with busyness in our life making it a competition for the time to sit with Jesus. But here, when we study Psalm 46, this word be still comes from Hebrew harpu, and it can also be translated to mean cease or to stop striving. Cease or stop striving. Throughout the psalm, we're told of the chaos all around the world. And over over again, the psalmist reminds us that God is our refuge and our fortress. We're told of his great work. And then it's God. It's God who tells us to stop striving, to cease, and to be still. For he is God. Not us. You struggle with this. Do you ever feel like you're constantly working and trying to prove yourself worthy of the love God is showing you? As if you're not just doing enough or, or I messed up so now I've got to go and make up for it to get right with God in, in this way. Um, I'll, I'll come serve on a Wednesday night dinners. I'll, I'll help out with worship on Sunday morning. Um, uh, I'll go to Sunday school class and now all of a sudden my relationship with God is going to be better simply because I accomplished the task. As if you're working towards being worthy of the love. God says stop striving. And know that he is God who has you firmly in his hands. Do you ever find yourself in life making the enemies that we prayed for with Pastor John trying to avenge the wrongs done to you? Plotting and planning retribution and revenge. God says stop striving and know that he is God. For at the end of Genesis, we're told that what others have meant for evil, God uses for good. 
He is our refuge and strength. Or maybe life feels like you're constantly in chaos all around, that, that your world actually feels like it's imploding at every minute and everything you do, you just feel like you're the sea raging relentlessly against the earth, hoping that the earth will move through it, but it never does. God says, be still and know that he is God. We are not. That's the hard part. We are not God. It's, it's hard for us. If, if we're going to be honest, it's hard for us to remember and to live as if we aren't our own God because we really trust ourselves. We really trust in our abilities to take care of ourselves, to provide for ourselves, to provide for our families, to, to do the right thing. We really trust ourselves. But folks, God says stop striving. He's got this. But more importantly, he's got you. He's got a hold of you. It's, it's in the second verse of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that, that he writes, did we in our own strength confide that our striving would be losing if not the right man on our side, a man of God's own choosing? A man of God's choosing, not ours. Because if, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not picking Jesus found in Scripture. We're picking warrior Messiah. That's who we want. Just as the Jewish people wanted on Palm Sunday, they were cheering Savannah, uh, Hosanna, save us, save us. They're waving their palms because Jesus is riding in and they're expecting him to be warrior Jesus to overthrow Rome. Come save us here and now and be our king here in this world. And it's the same crowd shouting crucify him on Friday. We would choose warrior Jesus. And God knows this. And he says in Isaiah 55 verse 8 that his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are our ways his ways. And so God chose Jesus from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. Because God knows we're not capable of defeating Satan and our own sin by ourselves. But rather, the Lord of hosts is with us and Jesus must win the battle. Jesus does win the battle. For he is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So go to him. And then when you go to him, trust him. What does that look like? It looks like when we take those moments to be still and know him, we know that his ways are not our ways. And to trust that God's got this. That God's always got you. Amen? Amen. Amen.